We've been trying to not really lay out sermons a quarter in advance, but we have been trying to put some planning and thought into what, what we want to do in the future. We've laid out some series we want to do in the fall and spring, but I just really felt led to go back over this, the whole vision of our church, like I said, before we make this transition to the building, because, again, I'm thankful for the building. It's, it's going to be an awesome uh, milestone in our church and an awesome a resource, but that's not the goal. And we talked a lot about that on Vision Night. You know how that's really just—it uh, is that is a resource, and it's really the starting point for us to go where God is taking us. So today, I want to kick off, you know, a four-week series entitled Vision Month. Again, it's going to spend a few weeks. There's, there's four parts of our vision. We're basically going to do a part each week. Today is Know God, and next Sunday will be Find Freedom, then Discover Purpose, then Make a Difference. And so uh, we're going to we begin today with Know God. The first thing I want you to see is everyone is searching. Everyone is searching. Romans chapter one, verse twenty, and, and chapter two, verse fifteen. On the screen says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Then next, Romans 2.15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. I've said this before, and some people would disagree, but I still believe it's correct, and I want you to understand this. I believe, again, straight out of the gate this morning, that every single person that you meet is searching for God. I believe that with all that I am. They might not know what they're looking for. They may not know what's missing, but I know that God wired all of us. We're spiritual beings, and God wired us with a with whatever He did to make us create or, or desire a relationship with Him and desire a connection with Him. Amen? Amen? You talk to people, they may tell you that they're an agnostic, they may tell you they're an atheist, they may tell you they have no interest in God, they may give you a list of excuses why they don't come to church, and usually it's because of the church. Amen? It's usually because of church hurt, something that was said or did, or you know something years ago, and that's why they don't want to go to church anymore, because they had a, a bad experience. But, but I guarantee you that deep, deep down inside, they might not even admit it, but deep, deep down inside, when it's just them and God, deep, deep down inside, they're searching for something. They have this feeling that something is missing because God wired them that way. And that what is missing is God, amen? What's missing is the Holy Spirit within us. And if you don't have that, then you'll always feel that, this, that there's something missing because the only thing that can fill that void is God. God created us like that, and He's the only thing that can fulfill that void. But you see people, you know, we, we pursue other things and we try to fill that void through money or, you know, relationships or careers or education or drugs or sex or whatever, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that people use to, to fill that void, but that's not going ever going to fill it. There's never satisfaction and fulfillment found in those things. Amen? Amen. Now, I do think there are people who are, who are agnostic, basically meaning they... They believe you can't know God or He can't be known. And if they really understood that word, they wouldn't call themselves agnostic. That's a whole other story. But, but I don't believe that anyone is truly an atheist. I really don't. They may tell you they are, but I think they're just living in denial. Because here's the logic. Here's the logic that I see. They're basically just trying to explain away a God that's going to hold them accountable. You see, if God doesn't exist, then I'm not accountable to Him. Are you with me? So if, if I'm really the result of evolution and I'm a descendant of an ape, then there's really nothing to hold me accountable. There is no accountability in that, right? 
If I if I really am the 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 uh, the result of a single cell organism that crawled out of a mud hole, then there's nothing to hold me accountable. But the minute God comes into the picture, then there's accountability. The minute God comes into the picture, there is a standard, and I have to live a certain way, and He expects me to have a relationship with Him, so He can fill that void and then lead and guide me along the way. So again, I think most people who claim to be atheists are just living in denial. And they're basically explaining away God so there is no accountability in their mind and so they can go live however they desire to live and not have to worry about anything. Right? Again, because logically, if there's not a God, if I part out of a mud hole or if I'm a descendant of an ape through evolution, then, then I'm not accountable. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a God. His name is Jehovah. The Bible calls him the great I am. And he is whatever you need. Amen. He is your everything. He, and he wants a relationship with you. And he paid the ultimate price for that relationship. Not only does he desire to have a relationship with you, but he made the way for you to have that relationship. And that was the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, who died for all of our sins so we can be reconciled, so we can have that right relationship, so that void can be filled. But here's the deal. He will not force you into that relationship. You see, he also gives you something the Bible calls or teaches that we call free will. And that is that we all have a choice. So while he sent Jesus to the cross for our sins, to die for our sins, and made a way back and wants a relationship with us and wants to fill that void, he also gives you a choice to either accept that sacrifice of Jesus and come into a relationship or reject that relation or reject Jesus and not have that relationship. You have that choice. You say, Pastor, why would he do it that way? I think two things. Number one is, I don't think he wanted seven billion robots. I don't think God desired a, a world of seven billion robots who love him because they have to love him. Right? He gave us a choice because if it's not really, if there's no choice, then it's not really love. You ever heard the term shotgun wedding? So, so let's say you were at the wedding yesterday and let's say that Gene was standing at the altar and I was standing behind him with a 12-gauge pump. And I said, okay, you have to marry Tina. He had no other choice, right? It was, it was a shotgun wedding. Would, it, would Gene's motives have been pure? Who knows? If he's getting married because there's a shotgun to his back, that's not really the right motive to get married, amen? amen. So in, in, what I want you to see is God gave us free will so that we can make a choice to love him because if we don't choose to love, then it's not really love. If I do it because of any other reason, then I've got the wrong motives. And just as at the wedding yesterday, if Gene married Tina because of any other reason than he loved her, he had the wrong motive. That's why you have free will. Because free will reveals your heart. It reveals your motive. And you've got to have that choice. But yeah, basically, again, we could go on and on with this, but I just want you to understand that everyone is searching. I believe everybody you meet is searching for God. I don't care if they're at school, they're at work, they're at the gas station, Walmart. It doesn't matter. They can tell you whatever, but I guarantee you that deep down inside they're searching because they know something is missing, and that something is God, whether they know it or not. That's what they're looking for. Amen? Amen. Number two, heaven and hell are realities. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. He says, But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, or immortality, excuse me, 
he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Heaven and hell. It, it all comes down to the question, what have you done with Jesus? It's really that simple. What have you done with Jesus? Again, you're given that free will, that choice to accept Jesus and forgiveness and be pardoned from your sins or you reject Jesus and you suffer the consequences of that decision. But notice here he talks about uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He talks about um, verse 9. Go to the next slide, Isaac. I'll be there somewhere. Verse 9. Look, he says it continues that passage. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who, who, who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. I, I love that phrase, the Jew first and also the Greek. Why is that there? That's there to tell me that it doesn't matter you know, where I'm from. Our race doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm black or white or, or anything in between. Right? It doesn't matter what, what my religious background is because Jews and Greeks are on completely different playing fields in terms of religion. It doesn't matter uh, what religious rituals I go through. It doesn't matter what my heritage is. It doesn't matter what my heredity is. Nothing matters for the Jew and the Greek. They're on the same level field. The only thing that matters is what have I done with Jesus Christ? How have I handled the gift of the Son of Jesus Christ? And then he ends it great with that great phrase. In verse 11, for God shows no partiality. What's that mean? That basically means God don't have any favorites. No partiality. No favoritism. There's no free pass. There's no entitlement. You don't get into heaven just because of who you are. I think there's a lot of people in churches today that think they're going to get into heaven on grandma's coattails, but it don't work that way. We're all held independently accountable. Going back to that last section, right? For what we do with Jesus. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It's a one-on-one thing between you and the sovereign God of all creation and what you do with the gift of Jesus Christ. He says no favoritism, there's no free pass, there's no entitlement. So we, we all stand before him and we receive eternal life if we accept Jesus or we receive eternal wrath and fury in hell if there's no Jesus. That is reality. There's not a lot of churches anymore that will tell you that. But that's still true. And that is still the truth. There is a heaven and there is a hell. They are real. They are a reality. And if that is reality, and I believe it is with all my heart, then the question is this. Are we doing our job? Are we doing our job of sharing the good news? Are we doing our job as a church and as individuals of sharing the gospel with people to keep them from this situation? I've shared this passage before. I want to share this with you. I love the way this is phrased. Uh, this is like a word of caution. Go to the next slide, please. This is Matthew 7, 21-23. From the paraphrase of the message. Listen to what this says. This is the words of Jesus. He says, Knowing the correct password, saying Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my Father wills. Listen to this. This picture that's in your mind. He says, I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message. We banish the demons. Our God-sponsored projects, which is what a lot of stuff is today, our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? Amen. You missed the boat.
Those last two sentences will get you. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit, you're out of here. Listen, church, all I'm saying this morning is please, please, please make sure you have this right. Make sure you got that relationship where it ought to be and that, you, that you've accepted Jesus and you know him as your Lord and Savior and that that, that, that relationship is right. But above all things, please don't leave here today unless you have that sorted out, unless you know for certain that you are his child and that you are his because heaven and hell are a reality. They are a reality. I've shared the statement many times, but... <coughs> The, the great evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who's is credited with you know, leading 75 million people plus to the Lord, talks about, he says, I, I make it my goal to plunder hell and populate heaven. Mm-hmm. That's got to be our desire, too, Amen. to plunder hell and populate heaven. Amen? Amen. Last, I want you to see that we are humanity. So, John 14, 6. You've been in church for many years. You can probably quote this off the top of your head. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So here's the question, church. Do we really believe that verse? Do you really believe If we really believe it, then why aren't we living like we believe it? If we really believe that Jesus is the only way, then why aren't we living like Jesus is the only way? Why aren't we being the church we've been called to be? I want you to understand this morning that the church, we are humanity's hope. We, we are the only hope they have. There is no plan B. There, there is no second string that's going to come in later and reach all the lost people. There, you know, there, there is no cleanup batteries. There's no reset button. You can't start the console over and play the game again. When you get to the end, it's the end. Heaven and hell are reality. So that means that every person on this planet is heading to one of those two destinations. And if we really believe that nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus, then why are we reaching those people? We say we believe this verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, no one comes to the Father except through me. But understand, church, that if we fail, that billions, with a B, billions, billions of people are going to spend eternity in hell because we didn't live this verse. It's one thing to say I believe this verse. It's a whole other thing to live like I believe this verse. And I'm afraid that much of the church today says they believe this. They, they acknowledge this with their lips, but their lives don't match up at all. So I don't know about you, but I'm determined to reach those people. To reach the unchurched in our community and beyond. So, so here's the plan. I want to share five things with you, and then I'll close with this. Five things that we're going to do to help people know God. We've shared this before. This is not new if you've been here a while. Number one is focus on life-giving culture. Focus on life-giving culture. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, when I read the Gospels, I see people always want to be with Jesus. 
You see that too? Everywhere he went, I mean, he's the son of God, yet he's hanging out with harlots and tax collectors and all the despised people, but everybody loved Jesus. Why don't everybody love the church? Maybe it's because we don't reflect Jesus. I'm saying let's focus on life-giving culture. Man, the world don't need another critic. There's plenty of critics. Trust me. I hear from them all the time. They're out there. But let's share the love of Christ. Amen? Let's share the character of Jesus Christ. And let's, let's, let's create a life-giving culture. So specific. Services that are real. I'm not here to, I don't come here every week to play games. It's not about going through motions. It's about being real and letting the Lord move and do whatever He wants to do. Amen? Services that are accepting of everybody. I don't care what they look like, what they smell like, what color they are, or where they came from. They are welcome here. We are accepting them. Services that are relevant. I, I believe with all my heart that the gospel, Jesus is the solution to every problem in the world. Let me just say that. He is the solution to every problem in the world. So let's take that and let's apply it to real life and make it real. And let's talk about things that people are dealing with and where they're living. The, uh, life-giving culture also, powerful and enjoyable. Again, people love being around Jesus. So let's make it where people love to be around us. Number two, create services with the unchurched in mind. I think a few things here. Number one, first impression is very important. And it's hard to do things here like we want to do them, but once we get in the building, you know, you got to think about that first impression and what people see and how they're greeted. They ought to be greeted. They ought to have you know, experience and be, participate in great praise and worship. Children's ministry should be the most well-funded ministry in the church. Prayer. We, we talk in our leadership meetings all the time about doing things with excellence. Not halfway doing things. Not just get, doing enough to get by, but doing everything to the best of my ability with excellence because the Bible says everything I do, I should do as I'm doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am. And so are you. So let's do it with excellence. Number three, teach personal evangelism. This may come as a surprise to you, but it's not the preacher's job to lead everybody to Jesus. You with me? We all, as Christians, we all carry that responsibility. It's not just me. We all have that responsibility. But understand that the most effective evangelism in our culture today is relational evangelism. It's about relationships. And listen, man, you ain't got to be a theologian and know every answer to every solution and every, or every answer to every question. You don't have to know the Bible forward and back and be able to quote a quarter of the New Testament. I mean, if you can, that's great. But you don't have to do those things. Because, listen, the greatest thing that you can do is to share your testimony. Because I could, I could go to Brian and witness to Brian and share the Romans wrote with him and whatever. And he can argue with me about Scripture. He can argue with me about the authority of God's Word. He can argue with me about what Paul really meant in context. But what he can argue with is, hey, I was this, and now I'm this because of Jesus Christ. You can't argue that. So, hey, build relationships and share your testimony. That's all you got to do. Just tell your story. Say, hey, again, I was this, and now I'm this. And the difference is Jesus. Because he changed me. Amen. Number four, pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. When we did when we did a groundbreaking for our building down there, many of you that are here now were there then. If you remember, we all put our we all we I wanted the whole thing to be about people because again, the building's great, it's a great resource, but it's not about the building, it's about people. And so when we did that groundbreaking, I didn't want to write someone's name on the stake that, that was unchurched, that didn't go to church, and they drove them in the ground. 
So what we did, I don't know if many people even know this, but before we started grading, we actually took all those stakes up and we kept them. And when we poured the concrete, all those stakes are underneath the front door of that church. So that every time you go in that building and you come out of that building, you're walking on those stakes and those names of those people that we're praying for. Because people matter. The lost people matter. And we need to be praying for them. We need to pray specific things for them. And there's all kinds of things we need to pray for. And we can go into that, you know, just, but most of all, pray for a positive relationship with some believer. Pray that God will reveal things to them, right? And number five, and lastly, we've got to keep the focus on the outsider. Keep the focus on the outsider. We've got to constantly be reminded of our purpose to seek and save that which is lost, just like Jesus. I read the New Testament, there's parables, there's several parables about Jesus doing what? He leaves the 99 and goes to the one. So here's the deal. We've got to resist the gravitational pull to selfishness. Because that's where the pull is in church. The pull is for me to, for, for us as a church to forget about all those outside and to start thinking about us. And what's in this for us? And what do I want? What do I need? And it all becomes all about us. It becomes very selfish. But again, he leaves the 99. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And, and we have to do the same thing. Number two, create specific services specifically for the unchurched. You know, we, we do things the way we do them for a reason, and, and it's with the unchurched in mind. We don't just do things at a whim and hope to get by. Celebrate missions outside the church. Be passionate about missions and outreach efforts. So here's what it comes down to. I've been reading this book called uh, Meet Generation Z. If you're a reader, I highly recommend the book. But it's all about the, the younger generation who are basically teenagers now. And I don't remember the exact years, but... It's all about the, the first half of the book is about that generation and why they are the way they are. The second half of the book is basically how to reach those people because they're unlike any other generation. <clears throat> the guy who wrote the book actually pastored the church in North Mecklenburg County, just north of Charlotte, called Mecklenburg Community Church. And he's smarter than a whip and probably forgot more than I'll ever know. But he talks in this book about how, uh, sort of their keys. So basically they have about 10,000 on the weekend. And they average 70% unchurched every service. 70% unchurched. And they do that week after week. And he says one of the, one of the secrets is they call it the sauce. He says well, one of the secrets of us doing this and being able to do this and to keep this going is what we call the sauce. And he goes on to explain the sauce. It's basically a phrase. And he said, so here's the phrase. And he said, everybody in our church has permission to use it at any time to any person. So you ready for it? You ready? So here's the, here's the sauce. It's not about you. He says, so when somebody comes up and complains about the worship music, guess what? It's not about you. Somebody comes up and complains because we spent too much money doing this, guess what? It's not about you. It's about those who are not here yet. Those who are coming, the unchurched. And so they build everything and focus everything around the unchurched. So you have permission to use that phrase anytime here if you want to. I love it. It's not about you. And there's days that I need to hear that. I think we all get in, in ruts when we become sort of self-centered and self-focused and somebody needs to remind us, hey, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. Amen? 
but we could go on and on with this, but I, I want you to understand that we are humanity's only hope. We are it. The church is it. I ran the numbers when we when we planted this church a little over four years ago. I hadn't ran them lately, but best I could figure at that time, there was 8,500 people that were lost within, I think it was a five-mile radius of this church. 8,500 people. And this is a rural area. Imagine what that is in cities. The last statistics I saw, on average, about 28% of the population goes to church anymore. On a regular basis. Meaning more than one time a year. Or two times a year. Nobody's going to do it for us. Amen. So if you go to stand your feet, I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up. Number one, everyone is searching. Everyone is searching. I don't care what the day. But I guarantee you, if you went to if you went to their home and you got to know them, and you got down to that point where it was just you and them, and there was no one else around, and they'd be real and honest with you, they tell you that they're searching. They tell you there's something missing. Again, we, we see people all around us who are trying to fill that void with things that will never fill it. Because the void can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Number two, heaven and hell are realities. They are real. It's not some fairy tale. They are reality. So let's determine to be the church that plunders hell and populates heaven. Number three, we are humanity's only hope. No plan B, no second string. We are it. And I believe, honestly, there's a very short window that we have to reach people. It's quickly closing in this country. So let's determine as a church to do whatever is necessary to reach the unchurched because it's not about us. It's about them. Amen? If you want to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. So two things and I'll be done. Number one, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I'm inviting you right now to make that decision. God has done everything He can do to have a relationship with you. He sent His only Son to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. But He's not going to force you into that relationship. You see, He's done everything that He can do, but the next move is yours. So what are you going to do? So if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, but you feel that tug at your heart and you feel the, the Lord leading you, the Holy Spirit prompt you to make that decision today. Would you do that right now? No one's looking around. No one's peeking. All heads are bowed. You just make your way up front. Nobody's going to laugh at you. We're going to rejoice with you. And I'll be honored to share the, the plan of salvation with you and tell you how all this works in as fine as detail as you want. Listen, God, God's done His part. Just imagine him standing there in front of you with his hands outstretched, just waiting on an embrace. Because that's what he's done. Because of the great love that we sang about this morning. He gave his son. He's just waiting on you to respond. So will you respond now? Right now. So if you, I'm assuming the rest of you here are Christians. Are you absolutely certain 
that you are his. That's my question for you. If you're here this morning and you say you're a Christian, you say, hi, I've accepted Jesus on this day, and, and, and that's real, do you know for sure that you're his? Are you willing to step up and do your part? God's given this church a massive vision. That I can't do by myself. That the leadership of this church can't do by herself. It's going to take everybody. So are you willing to stand up and say, yes, Pastor, I'll do my part. Yes, I'll, I'll help people know God. Yes, I'll help people find freedom. I'll help them discover their purpose. And I'll help them make a difference. Maybe there's something specific the Lord is leading you right now that you need to do. You need to start doing. You just want to come and pray about that, whatever. I just want everyone to be obedient. That's my desire this morning. That you just do whatever the Lord's leading you to do. That you would let Him have His way in your life. So, Father, again, we thank you for all you are and all you've done. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing right now in hearts all across this room. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, then you would help them to realize that this morning, to see that, and you would bring them into that relationship. And God, for those here this morning who know you, I pray you just make their salvation a reality. God, I know there's people who struggle with that, worry about that kind of thing, but God, I know that they can know, God, that you can make it a real reality, that they feel every minute of their life that they're in communion with you and in relationship with you. And Father, I pray you would do that in their lives. But God, I just pray that you would just show us our purpose. And show us where we fit into the vision and where what you want to do here. Father, we just thank you for all you've done. And God, we just pray that you would just lead us and guide us and help everyone to be obedient to your Holy Spirit in this time of response. In Jesus' name, everyone said.